2: The story is the Patriots. And what happens is what happens is we we, we fuel our thoughts based upon <clears throat> whatever preordained biases that we have. Right. Does that, does that make sense? We fuel our thoughts based on whatever preordained biases we have. And the bias that we have is against the Patriots because we think that they don't spend money. Now, it's not actually the case that they don't spend money. It's that Tom Brady never took top dollars, that they found ways to, you know, if you go through, if you were a, a player that they liked, they compensated you. But, but I've, I foretold this going back to last week. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you I know everything about trends in business and trends in the NFL, but I did know this was coming. Right. If you look back at last year, what, what I saw people, including, you know, friends of mine, guys that work for us about, like, well, it just so happens that Tom Brady leaves because they don't have any weapons. And the very next year they get weapons. Like, look, they were in cap hell. They they couldn't fix their team. They had they, they were patching things together. You go back to the Eagles Super Bowl, and remember, that was a terrible defense. And so what they do in the offseason, they're pragmatic. They fix their defense. Then they became a dominant defense, and they established a quality running game because their quarterback was 40 years old. Okay? Then they got to kind of the end of the line for that run, and when they got to the end of the line for that run— Suddenly, now they last year. If Tom Brady would have come back, there was nothing they really could have done outside of maybe kick that tax burden, you know. Further, to, basically, they were where the Steelers are this year. Brady leaves; they have that dead cap money, but then Gronk returns, and that allows them to get that tax, that cap money off the books. Um, they clean up some other stuff, and this was the year in which we knew they'd have money to spend. So, I understand that people think. The, the, there's a cause, there's a, there's a, what cause and effect, right? And they think the effect of Tampa is what's causing, it's what's causing, um, New England to react as such. The two are not even close to being related. They knew what they had. They knew they had, a ba- they had a bad roster. They knew it was a bridge year. That's why it wasn't worth it for them to move mountains and, and acquiesce to Tom. Brady. It wasn't going to change anything. Let's, let's forget the narrative that people don't want to play in New England. That's, I mean, dudes in the league want two things. One, right, they, they want to be coached, they want structure, and two, they want to get paid. These two things happen there. And, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm sure most of them sat there and said, look, if they can win seven games without any players, imagine if I join them. Imagine if Dante Hightower comes back. I don't know if Patrick Chung comes back. He's maybe on the other side of it. It doesn't matter. The, the, the cause of this is not Tampa Bay. Okay. The cause of this is new England and the timing of when and how they can go for it. And this is a time and I've shared this. I, I hosted Colin show. We talked about it late in our show yesterday. This is a time. Uh, in which the new England Patriots understand the marketplace, more teams have to shed these contracts and older players and veteran players. Then they can't, they don't have the tax room. They don't have the cap room that new England has. Combine that with the fact that New England has the need and the money and the wherewithal to evaluate players in the league. This is their strength. Their strength is evaluating players in the National Football League, not players that are in college. Uh, do, they, do they evaluate well second, third round? Sure. Do they have some good players? Yes. I don't know what happens to Nikhil Harry. People think he'll be better this year. I also think that if you look at what they're doing with two tight ends, I remember back Dan, you can remember this because we've been, you know, you've been with me the entire time. If we remember back to the Lamar Jackson draft, am I wrong to think that there was uh, the story was they were interested in Lamar Jackson. Is that, do do we remember that? Yeah. Yes. Somewhat not completely, but it does sound familiar. Okay. And the idea is that Bill Belichick understands where this thing is going. And if he's going to have a cam Newton, And likely, whoever you have, they're going to draft a quarterback, right? Or they're going to sign a a quarterback who's not making a ton of money. If you have a quarterback, they want one that can move. They feel that's the, the, the change in the NFL. And if you have one of these guys that moves, a lot of them aren't crazy accurate, like Lamar Jackson, what have they done with Lamar Jackson in order to make him more successful? They give him massive targets at multiple tight ends. That's the same philosophy. It also allows you with personnel groupings to find mismatches, which that goes back to when they had Brady and they had two tight ends with Gronkin and, and, and the late Aaron Hernandez, right? So, so they, the, they understand that the trend in the NFL is have a quarterback. That's not making a lot that allows you to spend the money elsewhere. They know that they have cash to spend. And if they don't, spend it at the quarterback. It's going to allow them to, to fill up with quality veteran players that they've been able to evaluate that they think they'll have a higher hit rate on the free agent market than anybody else. And they want it to fit whoever's going to be their quarterback for the next five years, which is likely to be somebody who's more mobile than Tom Brady and less accurate than Tom Brady. And so what do you do? You get hybrid players, you get bigger wide receivers and you, you change how you look to change with the times. That's why they're the best, okay? The best organizations don't always win championships, okay? You need some luck, you need some health, and frankly, you need a quarterback. The best organizations are competitive every year. The best coaches are competitive every year. And then once every couple of years, you got a chance at the whole thing. If you, if you think that New England is doing this because of Tampa, that's because you're a fan. If you realize that this is what New England's plan was all along, you start to understand the genius of Belichick and that front office. It doesn't mean that it works. It just means that this is, in fact, their plan and it's quickly taking it's quickly taking shape and and it's kind of taken the NFL by storm.
5: Be sure to catch the live edition of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app.
2: Richard McKay is kind enough to join us. He's the head coach of the Liberty Flames. Second time they've won the A Sun in the last three years. And of course, you go back a couple years ago and they got a win in the NCAA tournament. This year, as a 13 seed, they draw my alma mater, Oklahoma State. And Richard McKay joins us on the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. Coach, how are you?
6: Doing great, Doug. Thanks for having me on. Let's let's just let's just get this over with right now. Who'd you pick in your bracket? The fourth seeded Cowboys or the 13 seeded Flames?
2: I I did pick the Cowboys. I, I yeah, did. I just okay. I, but, but well, I, hey, I I great be on your
6: show. Thanks for having me. No,
2: I mean I I di- <laughs> okay. So you guys, what's interesting is like last year last year you would have gone too. Like you got you have it rolling, rolling and. Uh, for people who don't know Richie's story, the whole story will be on the All Ball podcast. But you were a head coach for a long time. You lost your job in New Mexico. You came uh, to Liberty. You, you won 23 games in your second year at Liberty. Then you went to work for Tony Bennett. And now you come back, and last year Lee allowed 53.8 points per game. This year it's 59 and change. Okay, it's A little bit higher, but it it feels like, your people would say Virginia Light is that an accurate portrayal of how you, your teams play?
6: Uh, if they do say that, I'll take it as a compliment. Having been there for six years with Tony and uh in that program, man, they, they got it to a place well, obviously, national championship caliber and and would have been competitive again last year and and will be this year. So, uh, I would take that as a great compliment. I do think we, uh, on, on most nights, and it's our hope that we're. We are hard to score against and uh and that in my mind really accelerates your opportunity to compete so i, I think defensively we i mean we've copied we stole the blueprint doug we you know we we uh, we copy it tooth and nail. now coaches coach, coach Ben has made some adjustments that uh we uh we haven't subscribed to yet but i, I think for uh, for that in the floor especially it's something that we really believe in
2: what what's it like to be first of all, you're in the bubble. Okay. What, what's this like for you guys? I, I believe, and tell me if I'm wrong, everybody has their own room, right? All the players have their own room and then you, they each ha you guys have to have food brought to them. You can't go out to eat. Is that, is that an accurate portrayal of what it's like?
6: Yeah. The first, the, when you first get here, you have to quarantine, you test right away. You land at the airport, you get a police escort to the hotel. And then when you arrive at the hotel, you test and then you quarantined and, All those room or all those meals were delivered to our door, and after the second test, the the second day, probably twenty hours later, you're out of quarantine, and then you can move around the hotel and to the convention center where they hold their practices, uh, to your meeting room, but uh, and then they've they've got some outside time at Victory Field, uh, which is the minor league baseball stadium that uh, is uh, it's carefully monitored. This is a a controlled environment, and uh, and they're they're very serious about it. I, I will say this though, Doug, the food's been it's been good. It, the people have been outstanding. It's really well organized. You can tell that there is a, a strong intentionality to try and make this student athlete experience grand. And uh, and I, my hats off to to Dan Gavitt and his team for what they've done here. I, yeah, it's not like it was or has been, but I, I can't think of. Uh, a better version of this given the, the state that we're in.
2: Yeah. What have what the challenges been like uh, for this season, considering you are in Virginia, right? And you're in Lynchburg, Virginia. And there's, you know, everybody, every area has a different, they have different rules in terms of who's out, when doors are open. Like what's this been like for you guys in terms of ability to hold practices, ability to keep guys quarantined during the season and the testing. What's that actually been like?
6: Yeah, we were fortunate. We I think we finished what 23 and five. So with 28 games, we we didn't go on pause. We had a couple of games that were canceled because uh, our opponent uh, had a shutdown. But you know, Doug, what I love about this group—they're fabulous people. Like, don't get me wrong, we have good players, and you need good players to be able to compete for the championship of your league or wherever you want to compete for a championship. But we have outstanding people, and I think. It hats off to Liberty because I think it attracts a, a really conscientious student athlete that has a has a sincere desire to grow in their faith. And man, these dudes have sacrificed. Like, it, you played, you played at a high level. The, the challenges that you have as a student athlete without a pandemic are, are immense. And right. the way the way they've had to navigate the testing, the pause, the changes, the are we going to play this week? And then the the experience that they signed up for they are not getting like this, they're, they're not they're not hanging out we have a dedicated classroom that they go to or dedicated facility in uh on campuses or lac which is phenomenal they go to a classroom in that lac and they do online class so that that's they go from there to the practice facility which our weight room is encompassed in and then back to their wherever they they live and that those are some major sacrifices. You're not hanging out at the cafeteria. You're not walking across campus with the student body hey, saying, great game last night. It's, it's, uh, so I'm really proud of them. They, they haven't complained. They've operated out of a deep sense of gratitude, which I think is a necessity if you're going to navigate this the right way.
2: Richie McKay joining as head coach of Liberty. The Flames get a chance to take on uh, Oklahoma State in the NCAA term in the first round. That game is going to be played at Banker's Life Fieldhouse for the Pacers' play. Uh, that's uh, I think five o'clock local on Friday afternoon, East uh, Eastern time. You you have a fabulous junior point guard a kid named Darius McGee. Um, he's only you know five nine one sixty. That's probably soaking wet. But what's impressive about him is his his, his 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 improvement. Right, like when you his first year came off the bench last year a starter. And now, kind of your go-to guy. H- how has he taken his game from where he was as a freshman, where he was, you know, I don't look one forty-five or whatever, uh, to to now where he's your not not just your point guard, but your go-to guy.
6: Yeah, Doug, I'm going to give you a name, and I know you're a basketball savant, so you're going to you're when I say this name, you're going to say, "Oh man, dude, is good." Darius McGee is Dana Barrows. Okay, he's, does he uh, shoot the little, he, he doesn't push the little uh, push three from deep. He got a deep three. He's got like a forty-six inch vertical, and you know you referenced his freshman and sophomore years. You know we had some really good players that graduated that uh, last year that really carried the load for us. And Darius, one of the best things about him is he's such a great kid. He's he's so humble. He deferred his first two years. Like, I I have to sometimes tell him, hey, are you going to shoot today? He, he's just that kind of guy. He loves his teammates. He, he doesn't want the spotlight. He wants everyone to feel involved in and But he's got a takeover ability in a game that he can, he can change the course of a game in two or three possessions. So uh, really a fabulous player. He's, it's one of those deals where, you know, if he, if he, if he has a, a shining moment in this event, he'll become a household name and his followers will go up and he'll get verified and all that. <laughs> he's, he's got that kind of ability.
2: Um, okay. I mean, the, the most important kid on your team. Um, let's just be honest, is is Luke McKay, right? I mean, that's the guy we got to get. We got to get him some, we got to get him some buckets. Um, Oh, so, 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 so twofold. What's it like to first, what's it like to experience this with your son on board?
6: Yeah, it's been the best three years of my coaching career. Just, just because I'm with him every day, you know, when we're on the road, we'll go out to eat. Uh, Having Luke didn't play basketball until his junior year of high school. So seeing his growth and his ownership and that improvement uh, it's been a joy. Been, How is,
2: I, I read that. How is that possible? Your dad was a player. You were a player. You've been a coach. What, what was your son? Do? Was he skateboarding? Was he revolting? <laughs> like what was it? Was he a, a goth kid? How did he not play basketball? Do uh, his junior year in high
6: school? Now, you know, Luke Champ is what we call him. He was, he was into the video games. You know, he's a good student. We didn't want to force it upon him. And he didn't catch the bug until later in life. Now, his younger brother has been hooping from day one, and, and, uh, and he'll tell you he's going to be a star. But Luke just has this, honestly, Doug, the neatest thing I saw all year. Luke came in a game. It was a, a non-one-gamer playing. He came in, and he never shoots. Like, I mean, he, he won't even shoot in practice. And he shot – he shot the ball three times and had eight points and the bench erupted. It was, it, it was, it, it's hard being the coach's son, but uh, the way his teammates celebrated him, it really warmed my heart. And then, and then of course, when I got home, his mom said, well, wait, wait a minute, how, how come he's not playing more? He's not, I'm just kidding. She didn't say that, but definitely, definitely I, 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 I
2: thought, I thought she, I, I thought you did. You are the head coach <laughs> at, at Liberty university. And uh, I've seen having been through Lynchburg, I've seen its immense growth. Like, you know, you do a Virginia Tech game or you're flying out of Lynchburg, whatever, and you just look at the campus. The campus is stunning and it continues to grow. But it is it it is a religious school. There are things that these kids have to do that other other kids don't have to do. Uh, What is that like to establish this sort of balance for young people in this day and age?
6: Yeah, I think you know Liberty it's it's mission is training champions for Christ and I, I think just like you would choose a a Stanford or an Ivy League school for uh what their mission is I think you choose Liberty for that whole person development I saying you can't get that elsewhere but I think you if you have a, conscientious, a conscientiousness in growing in your in your Christian faith or uh having a biblical worldview I think I think you would choose a place like Liberty and Man, the, the campus has exploded. There's been over a billion dollars of construction over the last 10 years, and we've been the benefactor. Athletics has been a benefactor. We've got a great AD and Ian McCall. So I think it's a great time to be at Liberty. You know, Hugh Freeze is one of the best football coaches in the country, and, uh, and you know, he's put us on the national map, and there's just a tremendous uh, uh, unity that exists amongst our not only our coaches, uh, within our department, but throughout our campus, and uh, I think our guys uh, I think they enjoy that experience some, with their fellow uh, student body members and uh, and uh, and the people that they get a chance to do life with on a daily basis.
2: Um, he did. He coached that game uh, from a hospital bed.
6: Um, yes,
2: yes, he did. <laughs> right? I, can you guys wheel him in in Indy? Put him in a <laughs> put him in a booth and just go coach. Listen, it works for you. Then we need every help we can get. You want to put a headset on and call us down some plays? You let me know. <laughs>
6: You know his back is good now, so uh, he would be standing up on the sideline, is my guess. But uh, hey, if it if that's what we need to get the Cowboys, Doug, I'm all for it. Uh,
2: so y- you get a chance to take on Cade Cunningham, who's an amazing talent. Mike's done a remarkable job. They have a very talented team, and and this is what what ends up happening when a team is underseeded. And I think you and I would both agree, like they, they should be a a three or a two, right? Is we all yeah. think of that team. What we never think of is their opponent, right? Where you guys sitting here going like. Not only did we have a lower seed than we wanted, but now we got a team that's like a seed line or two below who they should be. Like, we shouldn't be playing Oklahoma State in our first game. But but here, here's the question, right? You guys obviously play tremendous uh, pack line defense. You load up, take teams out of transition. How do you handle the emotions of kids know that if, if I play well against Cade Cunningham, everybody's going to see me. How do you, and you've done this before. It's not your first, how do you main, handle the emotions of kids who are going to be kids and want to take it as a personal challenge uh, to try and, to try and be the guy that night?
6: Yeah. Great question. Uh, we, we have a mantra we live by in our program. What you do every day is more important than what you do every once in a while. And, and I think that That's everyday good. approach that. Oh, hey, hold on. Hold on. Be, hold uh,
2: on. We'll repeat that one more time for people to write that one down. Go ahead.
6: Yeah. What you do every day is more important than what you do every once in a while. And I, I just I just think, again, for us, great. It's a big stage. We get that. We're privileged and honored to be a part of it. But uh, what wins the day for us is who we are and not trying to uh, live in someone else's identity. I, I just I think for for our basketball program, and we have a ton of respect for Coach Boynton, what he's done there. You you alluded to it. They've got great talent, and Kate Cunningham is special. Uh, at, at the same time, we're we're playing against the Oklahoma state Cowboys and we are the Liberty Flames, not the McGee's, not the Cuppies, not the McKay's, not. So it's our team versus their team. And we're just going to hope to see what we can do in those 40 minutes. And, and hopefully it's good enough.
2: Uh, last thing, uh, Richard McKay, head coach of Liberty. We didn't talk about this a ton on the pod. The pod will drop tomorrow. It's, it's fascinating. Um, but going back to a place you were previously you know, you're you're away for six years. You go to Virginia, which is an hour down the road, to work with your close friend, Tony Bennett, and build that thing into the still-defending national champions. And now you've been back. What is it like the second time around? Is, was it at all weird for a while to be to be back the second time around? Uh,
6: no, I, I get asked that question a lot. And I, people assume when you leave a place, something was wrong with it. I'd never left Liberty for what it wasn't. Uh, Tony was a good friend, and his dad is wasn't as a good friend, and his dad wasn't as a mentor. So I, we just felt called to, to do that, and, uh, and it was great for my career. I got a Ph.D. in the uh, pack line defense, and like I alluded to in the podcast, I got some mind space back. And it's a, it's a joy and a privilege to be back. It's a great place, and, uh, and we're, we're having a blast. I think, I think we're building a program that hopefully can sustain success, and, uh, and I love doing life with the people I get a chance to.
2: You're you're about what, forty five minutes from Appomattox? Have you ever have you ever taken the team up yeah. there?
6: Uh, we have it. We have it. How do you know Appomattox? It's interesting. So this
2: is I mean, we probably should have done this in the pod and we can do more if you want, but I was driving last week. I did the SOCON and then I yeah. had to do the CAA out of James Madison.
3: Okay. And
2: I'm I'm not war civil war reenactment guy. Don't don't get me wrong, okay? I'm not yeah. oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be the dead guy today. No. But yeah. I every time I'm in that area. <laughs> As you know, when you drive anywhere, if you pull off anywhere, there's something Civil War history, right? It's just, that's just the area. And so I drove, I drove 81 the whole way to Harrisonburg and I stopped along the way to get gas and stopped along this (coughs) beautiful river and filmed it. And I was looking at like, I got an hour to kill. And I was like, man, Appomattox. So we talked about it on the radio show last week. And it's just interesting on here you know, we're still kind of socially fighting old battles and you guys are right up the road from like, I thought this battle was decided a while ago. Here's Appomattox. And it's just, it's really, it's gotta be interesting to be in that part of the country where there is so much history that we just pass by on a daily basis and almost kind of forget about.
6: Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. And I think we have the burden of responsibility to to keep uh, not only recognizing what history said in the story that was told, but reshaping it in our responsibility there to be agents of change. And I do think knowing the more about what used to be uh, can help you uh, uh, impact the, what is today. So uh, you you are a historian. Uh, uh, I'm I'm not surprised though. You uh, you got a lot of talent. No, I
2: just I I'm fascinated by it, and I I think you live in an incredibly beautiful part of the country. And we do every time every time I'm there. I'm like, wow. Why why don't I live? Why, why don't I live here? I wish you nothing but success. Thank you for all your time today. And uh, stay healthy in that bubble. And we look forward to seeing you against the Cowboys on Friday.
5: Thanks, Doug. Appreciate you having me on, man. Be sure to catch the live edition of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific.
2: Danny Manning, kind enough to join us here on the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. Care of the fo- folks of uh, Mueller Sports Medicine. Danny, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Doug? Good, man. Um, I remember I didn't get to go. My, my dad used to bring one of us, me or my brother, to the Final Four. I didn't get to go to Kansas City uh, in, in 88. Um, but what what memory now, years later, is, is the most prominent for you of that entire tournament? Well,
7: I've been very fortunate and blessed to, to be a part of that run in 1988 to win a national championship. And and for me, Doug, it just goes back to you can talk about the lead up 30 minutes away from our campus playing for the national championship, but the most fond memory that I have is sitting in the locker room after the national championship joking around with my teammates and it hits you of, wow, this is the last time this group will ever play a collegiate game together. And we were so fortunate and blessed to be the last team standing this particular year. It was kind of a surreal feeling sitting in the locker room knowing what you just accomplished with your teammates. So that's the best feeling that I, that I had after that championship. And it was not something where you're, you're running around and you're beating on your chest. We're national championship. It was just like, wow, we, we won a national championship. We Wow. Just, just mind-blowing.
2: Yeah, uh, it, it's interesting. Obviously, people remember that your, your dad, Ed, was on staff, and uh, it had to be what was What's that like to win one and to have your dad right there? Like most tape tape, the dads in the stands, your dad's right there. How, how different was your experience in that way?
7: That was a great experience for me. I mean, my father introduced me to the game of basketball. He played professional basketball in the NBA and ABA and overseas. He was my first coach. Uh, he was my life coach and he was my biggest fan. But as you can understand this, Doug, he was my biggest critic, too. <laughs> and I knew it came from a place of love, but at times, you know, it gets challenging. And so for us to go through that, but for me, to be able to be with him every day throughout my college career was something that. I look back on and, and feel so blessed and, and grateful to have had that experience because that was not always the case when my father was playing professional basketball because of how they traveled back then.
2: Yeah. They wanted no, the
7: chartered flights and things of that nature.
2: No, it's, it's interesting because people, they have a way of creating it and calling it such a negative because, you know, you went and did your senior year um, in Lawrence in high school. And then of course joined them. And then you look in Cade Cunningham's brother, Uh, was a player and a coach, and now he's at Oklahoma State. One of the reasons he went to Oklahoma State, obviously, you go and look out at USC and, you know, you have two brothers uh, going and playing for their dad at USC, and I think everybody thinks the dynamic is so easy, but it's not. (laughs) It's (laughs) <laughs> it's not <laughs> because you're also growing into being a grown up. You're kind of feeling yourself. You were a star very early on, and like you want your dad around, but you don't always want your dad around. Like it's a it's a different deal than just okay, they got his dad, so the kid comes and everybody's happy, copacetic.
7: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And um, you know, I look back on it, and you know, we've had we had some unique and difficult conversations, and they all me, looking back on it as a parent now, I know they all came from a place of love. And it was also, you know, a parent and you're sharing information and you're trying to help your child navigate the different things that are going on in the world, in their life. And at the same time, you're kind of like you said, it, you're feeling yourself and you you kind of want to get behind the steering wheel and do it by yourself. But so grateful for um, his insight and, and all the other things that he shared with me on my journey.
2: Danny Manning, our guest on the Doug Gottlieb Show here on Fox Sports Radio. You, you've lived it as a player. You, you've lived it as a coach. By the way, um, can you imagine, like, look, I know that Pat Ewing he hadn't played in a long time. Can you imagine that the, the ushers didn't know who he was last week at, at, at Madison Square Garden? <laughs> That's the same.
7: That is the same. We're working on the ESPN set, and we heard that. I just started laughing. Like, I can't believe this. Patrick Ewing in the garden in – he has to make sure that he has his credentials in a visible place because he's not recognized. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, that, that's a hard one to swallow there.
2: People forget that when you got to – there was the Clipper curse, right, that that you had – they think the Clipper curse is the second round. Like, no, the Clipper curse, you hurt your knee. Uh, right before you ever even played your uh, – you only played like 26 games, right? It was your first year you, you tore your yeah. ACL. And surgery was, 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 was different then, obviously, than it is now. Um, I know you had, it It was a scope, but it was and it wasn't. So the big zipper, but it was still a major, major surgery. What, what, what did that injury do to change um, your trajectory as a player? You think,
7: well, I'm going to take you back further. It was a zipper. <laughs> it was not just one. It was two at the time that they were doing it. And so for me going through that injury, 26 games into my rookie year, Bernard King was in the midst of his comeback when I was, injured my knee, and so he was someone that I looked to for inspiration. I had a college teammate by the name of Archie Marshall who blew his knee out two times in college, and I saw him get back out on the court and play at a high level. So I knew it was possible, but I also knew that I might not be as quick, jump as high, run as fast, but I also thought, well, you know what? If that's the case, I'll just be more of a true post player, gain a little bit more weight, and go bang in the paint. But I had great doctors, Stephen Lombardo out of Curlin & Job in L.A., great therapists, Clyde Brewster, and then I had tremendous support in Johnny Doyle, Carl Horn were two that come to mind that helped me get back to a very competitive form in a style that benefited my body type in the NBA. So very fortunate and blessed to have all those people in the corner, along with my family and their support.
2: Yeah, you tore that thing three times, man. You're a stronger yeah. man than me to keep to keep coming back from that stuff. Um, <laughs> hey,
7: I'm the unofficial goat of the ACL in the NBA. I'm, yeah, what well, they should do, you know, you know,
2: Tommy John that. gets the credit for the elbow surgery. Why don't they call it the Manning? Why don't they call it the Danny Manning surgery when guy tears his knee a couple times? Well, yeah, if they tear it three
7: times. You can say yeah, you had a Danny. Okay. They, had, they, had, they, had, they had Danny Manning. Hopefully, nobody goes through that. I'm not wishing that on anyone.
2: Uh, Bill Self told me true or false. Bill Self told me that when you when you coached against Kevin Durant. At Fog Allen, you turned to him and said, "That's the baddest dude to ever play in this gym."
7: Yes, sir. He had 25 and, a half and uh, he was—he was spectacular. I mean, it's just one of those deals where you're looking at him and how he's scoring the basketball, the efficiency that he's doing it, the, the elevation that he's getting on his jump shot. Yeah, it was—it was really impressive. Our fans gave him a standing ovation; it was well deserved.
2: Yeah, no, he's—he's he's st- okay. Uh, Cade <laughs> K- K- Cade Cunningham. Um, I'm thinking. Some say Grant Hill. Some, I'm, I'm more of a, like a Penny Hardaway. I think I feel like more Penny Hardaway. You've been around this thing and seen it and played it and coached it at way higher levels. When, when you see Cade Cunningham, is there a guy that comes to your mind,
7: Doug? That's a great comparison. I love the Penny Hardaway. I love that. You know, I've heard the Grant, but you know, Grant was when he was at his best. He was really freaky athletic. Yeah. And I don't know, I, know, I think Cade is athletic, but I don't know if he eclipsed that level. Right. But I love the Penny comparison. Um, seeing the floor, the size, obviously he's a little bit bigger than Penny, but um, I, I like that comparison a lot, and I can go with that for sure.
2: Obviously, most recently you coached it at Wake. You did it. You turned around Tulsa in two short years. You got him to the NCAA tournament. You got Wake to the NCAA tournament as well. Um, I know that you've, you've told people, at least, again, few reports, you haven't told me, that Athletic Director Kansas is something you've been interested in. In the, in the things that you want to do in the next five, ten years, AD at Kansas or coach or broadcast, what's the one, two, three?
7: Um, the ones, well, let me put it to you like this. The only reason that I'm interested in an AD job is because it is Kansas. And my passion and love for KU is the utmost. I love the game of basketball and I want to be involved in the game of basketball at some level and ESPN presented the opportunity for me to be able to do that this year. So always thankful for that. And we've been in, I've been in this profession long enough. You understand that it's, it's unpredictable. You know, I can't always, you know, you can't say this is what's going to happen and this is the path that I'm going to take, but I just want to keep options open. I want to, this year was a year for me to grow and develop outside of my comfort zone and my box and joining the media and being on ESPN and talking basketball. And I really had a great time doing that. I had wonderful people to help and guide me, especially the crew at ESPN. So I want to be involved in the game of basketball because I love it. But my love for KU is, is on that level as well.
2: Uh, okay, so how do you fix football? Well,
7: if you fix football, by the first thing you do is you have to find, define what is success and how you're able to sustain that success. And you kind of go from there. And that's the, that's the whole mindset. I mean, for me, as a, my mindset as an AD would be, okay, I want to make sure that we develop young people for life. I want to help the student-athletes have a great experience. And you want to compete. The championships, and you want to win or advance in postseason play in every sport.
2: Why, why do you think? And, I, and again, and I'm this is not loaded anyway. So if you disagree, you it's an open form. Danny Manning, our mm-hmm. guest on the Doug Gottlieb mm-hmm. Show here on Fox Sports Radio. Uh, there, there seems to be a narrative that that the college student athlete, especially basketball and football, that they're being used and abused by college athletes, that they're not getting enough in return. Where I, I feel like. You have an incredibly healthy respect from everything else you got when you're at KU, and everything else that's provided to you afterwards—the family, the life, um, you know, a place to always call home that always kind of has your your back, and and life lessons and life friends you've learned, as well as people that went to KU that start businesses, so that you can kind of spread uh, your porf- your personal portfolio. But why do you think so many? who are in your position or my position have such a negative view of college athletics?
7: Well, I think we, at the end of the day, I mean, college athletics is basically a minor league for a lot of professional sports. And I I think sometimes we, we don't address it that way. I think that, you know, the value that you get going to college is something that is very special and it's lifelong but Doug I also think that, you know, there's enough money out there to put some money in, in these kids' pockets while they are in college. And 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 kind of go from there. So, I think especially in the game of basketball, if you look what's going on, the G League ignite. They're creating a different model. Overtime elite is going to follow in those footsteps and do something along those lines. So, you know, the game of basketball is changing. But we've seen this in hockey. we see it in baseball. You know, we see it in a lot of other sports. And what basketball is trying to do with those two programs in particular is basically bring over the international model, the European model that they've been using for so long. And it seems to be working for them because they're able to produce talented, well-prepared young professionals at an early age.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting, I also think, you know, some of it is the failures of our school systems in, uh, and that has to be addressed in the overall education of the student athlete It's a, it's a, it's a hard one. It's a really hard one. Um, it's interesting. You now people say, well, he's never worked in an athletic department. And I'll say, well, what does an athletic director do? Right? Yes. You have to run the athletic department, but you can hire people who know what you don't know. Another portion of it is, you know, is, is you need to raise money, and who better raise money than Danny Manny knocking on your door going, like, Hey, man, we need to raise some money for this thing. How challenging do you think it would be for you to run an athletic department considering you haven't previously?
7: Well, Doug, it would be challenging, but any job worthwhile is challenging. You know, the one thing that I do know is I know the, the player experience, I know the coach experience, I know what great coaches are like because I've been around them all my life. I've worked at three different institutions, and you know, I hear that narrative too, but the thing for me is I'm not trying to be the smartest guy in the room. I want to be the best listener in the room and I want to put people in place to help me push my passion, my love, my insight, and the experience we want to create for our student athletes. And and then you go from there.
2: Um you're working with, with uh with Mueller Sports. Um they do great stuff in sports medicine. Obviously, I mean, who doesn't remember the the old water bottle with the little little skinny, <laughs> you know, the old Mueller water bottle, right? It's got the little yep, skinny straw yep. thing you'd spray in yes, your mouth. That's so you didn't, right. That's right? right? Is that what is that what you're hawking now? Are you hawking these little the water bottles to come back? No water bottles, but I partner with Mueller to tell you about
7: if you have a sore knee, yeah. get your Mueller knee brace. and It'll provide great support and help the weekend warriors. And I understand knee pain. You understand yeah. knee pain because you played at a high level too. And that's not any fun. So go to Walmart, go to Walgreens, and get yourself a Mueller sports knee brace so you can go out and be that terrific weekend warrior and be healthy enough to enjoy the week following.
2: Um, did you when, when you came out of those ACLs, you had that big clunky one, right? That big gigantic thing for a long time before you could go yes. to the sleeve.
7: Yes, you're absolutely right. It had support down both sides of the knee and braces across the, the front and the back to, to give me all the support that I
2: needed. How do, they feel? How do your knees feel now? I know traveling, I've been told when you – traveling is the hard part, right?
7: Yeah, traveling is tough, but you know what? I, um, I'm doing well. I've tried to make some modifications to my diet, so I'm trying to eat just a little bit better, not just a little. And for me, I, I try to do some type of exercise or, or stretch every day, and I'm feeling good, so i feeling good. I'm not out playing any competitive sports. I'll go out in my backyard shoot a couple of spot jump shots. I go to the court shoot a couple of spot jays, but no quick twitch movements anymore other than riding my bike, swimming and walking.
2: <laughs> yeah, swimming and walking. Imagine imagine if we knew about yoga back in the day, maybe not, none of this none, none of these none of these issues. Well, you you'd have my vote. Uh oh, by the way, uh Gonzaga or the field? I'm taking the Zags.
7: I'm rolling with the Bulldogs. I know that's the easy choice, but watching them play this year this has been a terrific team for Mark Few. I think it's been the best team that he's ever put together. Subs is on a different level. Jimmy is really special. I think Kispert is the key to the team because of his versatility of going from the back court to the front court. Ie does it all. Nim Hart. Uh, I just like this group a lot. I like their chemistry. I like their competitive fire and they answer the bell night in and night out. And I think what they went through playing BYU and being down is something that would benefit them on their tourney run as well.
2: No question. And BYU is one of those running a fever. They had 53 at the half, and they couldn't miss, and they, and they, they found a way. And they, they, got, they got a little bit of everything, right? They got the star freshman in Suggs. Uh, they got some experienced dudes. They got two point guards. They, they got maybe not a lot of depth, but depth can be overrated. You just got to win. Got to win one game, Danny. I, yeah. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you. I know how, the respect that your name carries uh, at Kansas to everybody who's been around you in different times you've been in the program. It, it's my honor to have you on this time of year. Thanks for joining us.
5: Thank you. Have a great day. Take care. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at FoxSportsRadio.com.
2: Uh, check in with Jeff Goodman, college basketball reporter for uh, Stadium Sports. He knows all of the college basketball landscape. Goody, are you an in Indy? Do
4: you know who was a great? I, I would take Steve Fuller over any of those other quarterbacks. You remember Steve Fuller? The no. backup to uh, Jim McMahon with the Bears? Sure. That, that's, the, that's the good Bears backup right there. Bring, bring Steve Fuller back.
2: That, that's what exactly. you led with. Are you an are you in Indy?
4: <laughs> I'm driving. I'm driving through the cornfields of Indiana, uh, almost in India. I thought I saw maybe a Brad Stevens sighting, uh, but, but it wasn't Brad Stevens.
2: Okay, so is, is, is Brad Stevens even contemplating taking the IU job?
4: No, hell no. Like, it's the dumbest thing ever. Every time that we go through this, first of all, can I tell you, Brad Stevens signed a five-year extension last year with the Celtics. Now, in the NBA, you can't just walk away from an NBA contract and coach a college team. You can't do that. It's part of the contract. He couldn't do it if he wanted to. And he doesn't want to. Trust me. He is in the NBA for the long haul. I've said it over and over again. The only way he coaches in college again is if Butler is struggling or something crazy happens when he's like 60 years old and he says, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to help out Butler because I love Butler.
5: Hmm.
2: Okay. So is it, Eric Musselman, who who do they – I know I know it said they hadn't reached out to Chris Beard yet. They hadn't reached out to Scott Drew yet. Both who have – Drew grew up in Indiana, has a one seed in Baylor. Chris Beard, of course, famously, Bob Knight's uh, manager going back in the day. If not those two, is it Eric Musselman?
4: Um, I don't think so, but I, I don't know that for sure. I've heard rumblings out of there that they would like to – keep it in the family and I don't know what keep it in the family means Doug because they don't have a lot of good candidates in the family when you're looking at in the family you're looking at like Dane Fife who's an assistant at Michigan State you're looking at like Mike Woodson who's like 62 years old you're looking at Keith Smart I mean you're not you don't have a bunch of really high level options right now um, if if you're trying to keep it in the family so I don't know what Scott Dolson's going to do here but you would think with him firing Archie Miller he would have a pretty good idea right off the bat who he's got.
2: Yeah, you would. You would think. Well, th- there's more candidates. In th- th- all, depends on what you call the family, right? Um, Mike Lewis. What else you got? Well, you well, you'd have you have the two assistants, right? Dane Fife and Mike Lewis, both, of course, played for Bob Knight. Um, yep. You know, I mean, Mike Lewis is a, like an Indiana legend. Those are possibilities. Yep. Um, yeah. Y- you have you have Beard. You have. I mean, Pasternak was was a, was a manager at Indiana. I don't know, that seems like a big jump to go from assistant Arizona head coach at UC Santa Barbara to IU. Um, th- yeah. Those are those are some extended family members. Who else am I missing?
4: I don't know. You're going to hire Uvea Blau? Calbert Calbert Chaney? Calbert Chaney, yes, you could go. Calbert Chaney. He was, I think, he was in college for like uh, uh a, a cup of coffee as an assistant. And that didn't, that didn't go well, but I I think he worked for Tom Crean and the, the shelf life on anybody working for Tom Crean is usually about a cup of coffee.
2: Um, Jeff Goodman's in a mood. He's joining us here on the Doug Gottlieb show on Fox sports radio. <laughs> what town, ta- what town are, what town are you near in Indiana? Well, give me the, give me the sign. So I know where you are.
4: Uh, I'll tell you the next time I pass a sign, I will tell you what town we are in. I am in a mood. I'm where in a mood, you, you know, I don't know why. I, I, I think I'm in a mood because I'm not going to see Teddy Valentine or John Higgins or John Gaffney or some of these uh, Roger Ayers. Like, the some of the, six of the best officials got bounced out of the NCAA tournament last night uh, because they had dinner together because their rooms weren't ready when they got to Indy and there was no food ready for them. So they went out for dinner. They were told they could. And uh, one tested positive and five were, were contact traced. And uh, Teddy Valentine is still in Indy though, trying to trying to see if he can rep for the Sweet Sixteen. So I'm holding out hope we're going to see TV Teddy.
3: You
2: know what? I know where they had. I I know those. I saw those guys having dinner. Just so you're aware, is <laughs> did a, you? A, you I, did. I'll give you a, a completely true story. And you know what? My room might have been the reason that it wasn't ready because Sunday when I was there, the game was at three thirty, and I was a late checkout because I was watching my AU teams on my. Uh, on my, um, uh, on my Apple know. device or whatever. Yeah. And so I'm watching, I got like five teams playing and I'm watching them and I, I didn't check out necessarily on time. So I go and do the big 10 championship game. Now I had checked out before that, but it, they have to go and they have to go through and like completely clean, like head to toe your room. And then you're not supposed to right. leave your room right. anyway. So on the way out of town, I mobile ordered or I door dashed St. Elmo's. I hadn't been to St. Elmo's the whole time because we're not going they out and going do to restaurants. Dashed. Right.
1: You can so yeah,
2: yeah you can DoorDash. You it, go pick it up yourself, or they can oh. deliver it to you contact-free. So I DoorDashed it, went in, had the mask on, actually yep. had, a, had a quick cocktail that was waiting for me, too, because it wasn't ready. Like, sir, can we get you a cocktail? You mean shrimp cocktail, like no regular cocktail? Had a quick cocktail, okay? Grabbed my DoorDash, saw the officials coming in as I was going out. I didn't know they so were they allowed to. No, no,
4: no. So there was another group. You saw a group of about 20 of them. At, no, at, I only at, saw two of. Uh,
2: I only saw two of them.
4: There were like twenty of them that ate there together, but the the group that I'm talking about was at the steakhouse. I forget what, Lizzie's, Izzy's something like yes, that. Yes, Izzy and they something else. It, that's
2: that's like a block yeah. away. Yes.
4: Yeah, that's where they ended up going. The six of those guys ended up going there. So uh, we're going to blame the whole thing on you, Gottlieb. We're blaming. I would have taken, taken I would gladly taken the
2: blame. It was worth it, man. I had some shrimp cocktail, a little little steak slider to go. It was amazing. It was, what a great order it was by me. Thanks to the folks at uh, St. Elmo's. They don't get very much pub when things come to Indy. Okay. Um, no, not at all. Uh, okay, so Richard Bertino gets fired one day and gets hired the next day at, at New yeah, Mexico?
4: Yeah. yeah, I don't know about you. I don't love it. I mean, I love Richard. I lo- like, one of my favorite people in the business. Yes. Uh, I don't really love it at New Mexico. I would have went more. I probably would have went 10 miles ahead of him, to be honest. I just think Miles knows that league. will be more all in. I, I think, Richard, Pitino. you go from Minnesota to New Mexico, um, you got to rebuild it, and there's nothing. Paul, we're left nothing. I mean, it is garbage right now. Major rebuilding job. Now, obviously, they've got the fan support but they don't necessarily have the resources. Um, they've got the pit and the fans, but a lot of the other stuff they're lacking right now. So I don't know if this is the right job for, for Richard Pitino. Um, Damon Stoudemire was in the mix too, Kyle Keller. So they had some good guys, and I know you're a Kyle Keller guy, and he's a grinder. He's a grinder. Yeah, it's a grinder's yeah.
2: job. It's a grinder's job. Who gets Iowa State? That one was surprising. Does TJ Alzheberger come back? I'd I heard no, but I who, who gets that one came open yesterday.
4: I think he can. Yeah. I I think he does end up getting it. I don't think as well. Remember he was with Hoyberg and McDermott at Iowa State. He brought George Yang there. Uh he fits much better at Iowa State. The question is, they just paid Prome five and a half. Can afford TJ Alzheimer. He's got a buyout not crazy buyout at ulb but he's got to buy out there and then you're gonna have to pay him probably you know two and a half three a year
2: doug gottlieb show here on fox sports radio um okay what about some of the other? i mean you don't get much bigger than indiana um will there be another pop of a big big job notre dame for example um any or arizona will there be another big job to come open
4: so Arizona, what's going on over there, according to my sources, is, is, again, they're kind of at a standstill right now. The money people and the boosters really want Sean Miller. And I'm an Arizona alum, so I'll preface it with that. Um, the money people really want Sean Miller to stay. The president uh, would like to, to make a move on Sean Miller. But if you make a move, you're going to owe Sean Miller a million and a half, two million right now. Um, and then you're going to lose the money people potentially. So he's in a tough spot right now. And he's only got one year left in his contract. So if you just sit there and don't do anything, it's a killer to the program. Because then you know you can't recruit. It's hard enough for Arizona to recruit the last couple of years. Um, With one year on your contract, it's awfully hard to get good recruits. So ultimately they'd like to find out, okay, what are the penalties going to be from the NCAA to the program, you know, self-imposed this past year, they could get another year postseason ban, and Sean Miller could get a lengthy suspension. But that we're talking a ways away. You might get through all of next season before you get the penalties for Arizona.
2: Why? Why are the why are the money people? Why are they so into Sean Miller?
4: I don't know. I mean, again, listen, the guy's a good coach. There's no doubt about that. He, he's done a good when when pre. Free ESPN story, and I'll say this because I I was at ESPN when that story broke. So So I got no problem saying this. Like, we've never seen that story came out with DeAndre Ayton, $100,000, Sean Miller, Christian Dawkins. Well, none of that ever came out, ever, ever. No tape, no nothing, nothing in the report that just came out, the notice of allegations. I I don't think it was correct. Now, I don't know if it was 100% wrong. 50% 50% wrong, but it wasn't 100% right. We know that. So, ultimately, that is really what, what was Sean Miller's on doing because realistically, when you look at it, Doug, how much difference was there? Now, there, there is now, when you look at the notice of allegations, there's academic fraud involved, okay? But the Book Richardson stuff and the money and the bribery, how much different was that than the USC, Tony Bland, and the money? But we haven't heard Andy Enfield, the USC's name, come up like once in the last two years.
8: Yeah,
2: I, I don't I don't know about it. I just don't know. I don't understand. You get that many major violations, and I don't truly understand uh,
4: why you stick with them. Right. Yeah. right. You probably make a move. I, listen, I'm with you. I'm with you, and I think for, for the betterment of the program, I would say it's probably best to make a move now and, and move forward because I don't think Sean Miller is ever going to be able to get it back to what it was. So I would agree with you. I would make a move, but I think— for Arizona's standpoint, and, and again, their administration saying, like, all right, if we make this move, we're going to lose all these money. These are our biggest boosters. We can't lose them.
2: Yeah, but that depends on who the next hire, though, is. If they hire Miles Simon or Damon Stoudemire, I think you get just as many big boosters back.
4: To be, you to very welcome. Be, to, be, yep.
2: to be very honest. Who wins the national championship? Jeff, who wins the national championship? Thanks.
4: Uh, Baylor. I'm going Baylor beating Gonzaga in the championship game. I know they haven't looked like Baylor lately, but I think they got a little bit more time uh, under their belt now, and if they can get their defense back, that's the key. Not offensively, it's defense. You know, if they can get back, you you and I both know how good Baylor is, right? I mean, their backcourt is almost unmatched, the two of them together, Jared Butler and, and, and Davion Mitchell, from an overall standpoint. Like, I love Suggs. And them hard, but like you're taking Baylor's backcourt any day of the week over those two, aren't you?
2: Uh I don't know about any day of the week. Like I, I, I like I like Suggs pretty I I look I think Baylor's guards are really good. I think they're both really good. I think uh Gonzaga has a little bit more firepower in their front court. Um agreed. And and totally. and that, that, that would be the difference. Baylor's probably better defensively. I think Illinois is right there as well because they have a they lot are. of firepower yep. and then they have they have two very good big dudes, but they have one, Kovey Coburn is he's unlike any other player in college basketball at that level.
5: Yeah, the
4: only thing is, yes he is. You have to be able to exploit him on the defensive end to beat Illinois.
5: Period. Cor- correct. I correct you're right, correct. I don't
4: know Baylor. Baylor can't do that. They don't have that big that can step out and make shots. So Baylor against Illinois, yeah, that's probably an i you know, an advantageous uh situation I think for Kofi. But, like, Kofi against Drew Timmy? I don't know. Like, Timmy can pull him out. He can beat him off the bounce a little bit. That'd be a hell of a matchup. I just think, again, for me, it's so much about matchups for Kofi, uh, whether Illinois can can be exposed.
2: Goodman, where are you? Did you find it? Did you find uh, some sort of road?
4: Purdue? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, Delphi and Lafayette exit 175 on whatever highway I'm on.
2: Now are you going to
4: West Lafayette? It's not, I don't think we're we're not are we in West Lafayette? Is that where we are? We're near Purdue. I might think a you know I might heat Payne here. Paints probably already in, uh, he's got to be already an in Indy. Yeah. I think the only team that's not an in Indy is uh your Virginia Cavaliers.
2: What about Kansas? Like what are they going to do? What's the, what's their deal?
4: They're there. They're there. They're just But but they, left, but they
2: left but they left Jalen Wilson, right? Who else did they leave behind?
4: McCormick, I assume, will come on his own private jet. You know, like David McCormick and uh, Tristan are going to probably uh, go in style and their own jet by themselves. And uh, Jalen Wilson will miss the first game, I'm told, according to my sources, and could miss the second game. First game, they'll be okay against your boy um, from Eastern Washington. Shante Scott Liggins. Liggins who yeah,
6: who yeah.
4: was in the mix at Portland, by the way. He might get the Portland job. You know that. You don't need me to tell you that. Um, yeah. It's it's him and Meg Pio, I think, from Riverside. So uh, I, I think ultimately Kansas might need Jalen Wilson, and will need Jalen Wilson in their second round game. You, they got USC. I mean, that's not a good matchup, right? I mean, Kansas if they don't and McCormick, remember, he hasn't been able to practice at all.
2: And they they run their whole offense through him. They've done a great job with not a lot of pieces. I don't I don't like Kansas in this tournament. Not just because of their overall talent, but especially all these mismatched pieces with not knowing who's there and who's not, it's gonna be it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a crazy one. Uh, all right, Jeff, uh, keep them at uh, ten and two. Get yourself some steak and shake. You have to get steak and shake while in Indiana. That's that's a must. Get oh, some course. steak and shake, and maybe maybe that'll maybe that'll help your attitude because your attitude just wasn't good today. Be better tomorrow.
4: My attitude got better. It got it better. It did get As better. We got on. better. Admit it. Admit it. Because you knew because you're talking exactly. to
2: me, but you brought in some exactly. sort of negative bias. Something exactly. was going on in that car ride beforehand. <laughs> some rosting uh, tweet or something like that, that that really set you off.
4: I love you, Doug. I love you. I miss you. And uh, it sucks not, you know, we saw each other a little bit uh, at the draft and, uh, it has sucked not being able to work with you this year. Why well, didn't
2: I, I? You didn't follow up on the the post uh, selection show show. I guess I could have done it in my car. Oh, you, was you went dark. Yeah, you
4: went go, dark. Uh, what are you talking I go, about?
2: I didn't go dark. I was managing a bunch of things. All right, I will do whatever you need for the tournament. I got. Uh, right. we'll, I'll text you. All right, thanks, Goodman. You got to wake up early. You got to wake
4: up early. You
5: got it. Be sure to catch the live edition of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at three PM Eastern, noon Pacific.
3: There are some things that are too good to keep a secret.
2: Dan Shaughnessy joins us, Boston Club, at Dan Shaughnessy. He's been doing this for a long time. I'm not trying to age you. I'm just, can Can you remember an offseason like this in the NFL?
8: Well, I mean, the Patriots are obviously setting a tone here early on, so for them, there's been nothing like this ever. No, nothing.
2: You know, what's, what's interesting about the Patriots, I, I did actually predict this going back to last week, and I mean, here's the parallel I drew. It's a lot like more your industry than mine, but mine's still the same. Like in terms of how many talented writers are there that are either out of work or, you know, they kind of piecemeal things together. And if somebody in the athletic kind of did this, right. When it's still out there where you could, you can find quality people out on the street because nobody has money to spend. And here we are in the NFL. You look at people who are stuck with salary cap. And so there's, there's more quality free agents out there than ever. And one of the few teams that has money to spend is the Patriots. So this is maybe more of a timing in terms of the landscape of the sport than it is the Patriots just throwing money at the wall.
8: Yeah, they're well positioned to do this at this time. And they are also coming off a season in which, you know, they won seven games, did not make the playoffs. There's a lot of backlash about the Brady thing. And uh, and I think that the commitment was made like, okay, we're going to go out there. And I think all this was done – strategically, you know, they wanted to make a big splash at the beginning and send notice that they're back, that they're serious, and uh, they they can get good players to come here, so.
2: Is uh, Cam Newton their starting quarterback week one of the season?
8: Well, this is the big question, Doug. I mean, I get right now, you'd have to say the answer to that is yes. That's not a good thing, in my view. I think they they will be better with the players they have and the opt-outs that came back makes them better, but it doesn't make them serious contenders, I don't believe. And Newton, in my view, is is just done. It's just not not happening with him anymore. So, I think they would like to have a, a steady game manager quarterback, and they will effort to get that in the next year or two. It may not happen by the start of this year, in which case, Cam's you know three and a half million dollar insurance policy as your starting quarterback. They don't get somebody better.
2: Yeah, they they draft one, right? They draft one, they develop one. Is that does that seem like a reasonable plan?
8: I mean, generally with the draft, you know, that's a rebuild, and I, I don't think they have patience here to do the big the big rebuild. They're picking at 15, so I don't know. I mean, but Bill generally has plans for this. I think, you know, going back five years, Garoppolo was the line of succession for him, and Tom outlived that that plan, and uh, that's that's where we are today. But I think that, uh, you know, if they could find a guy that they felt, you know, they could bring him along and, and turn it over to him next year, that Cam could be the placeholder this year.
2: Yeah, I think, though, that there is a—and Dan Shaughnessy joining us, longtime talented writer, Boston Globe. I think, though, Dan, if I remember back to so many previous drafts, when they took Garoppolo, part of it was his athleticism. There were rumors that they liked Lamar Jackson. Again, the athleticism. If you look at—if you try and get the—give me a sign, right, of what exactly your plan is. When you get a couple of tight ends, you get bigger wide receivers— And you re-sign Cam Newton, you're telling everybody, okay, this our offense is gonna be with a mobile quarterback. That's a trend of the future. And one of the things these mobile quarterbacks usually are not that good at is accuracy, and that's why you get bigger targets. Like feels like that's kind of their plan.
8: I mean, that sounds really good on paper. I mean, I hope it works out for them in that in that form. I just I'm I'm kind of really negative on on Newton and I think that you know what I saw this year was a guy, you know, having trouble under center making good decisions and not being able to throw. He's a, he's a good teammate, a good soldier, a good captain, and, and the players like him, and um, he will give you everything he's got. And maybe the fact that he had COVID, didn't have time to learn the system, they had the opt-outs, didn't have a lot to work with, you know, maybe he can overcome all that. So um, we're gonna, it's going to be a really interesting season as they get into it.
2: No, listen, for the record, I agree with you. Okay, I said, and and people are coming at me on Twitter because I said, like, I don't know if he has a spot in the league next year, meaning this yeah. coming season, yeah. right? Because a, a quarterback that can't throw is not a quarterback. But the number is, that's a backup quarterback number. Okay, now, if they can get away right. with, th- think they, and, and as bad as he was throwing, they still found a way with that roster to win seven games is nothing short of a miracle. I think they're telling with that number, he's not the starter for long. They're just, they got to figure out, do they can they get Garoppolo back? can they get a darnold or do they have to or can they trade for a um a teddy bridgewater or or do they go and they go through the draft and they develop one
8: I think you're definitely right on that I think he's he's i mean he's not the future this is not the way they want to go moving forward but uh, as a placeholder as a guy they think they can get by with for a year while they're figuring out the next thing but yeah, I still believe that Garoppolo would be their best solution I don't know the availability i mean San Francisco's got a lot to think about there, and he took him to a Super Bowl. And But he's a guy who's, you know, he's, he's injury-prone, as we know, but he knows the system here. He knows McDaniels. He knows the Patriots. Belichick likes them. And that would be the best of all worlds from what I can see.
2: Doug Gottlieb's show here on Fox Sports Radio. Um, uh, real quick, and, and I know you you didn't know you were coming on to talk about this, LeBron James, part of a group that he's part of, is now they now own the Boston Red Sox. Okay, I and I again I understand he's not the he's not the primary owner. Right. But he's also a Yankee fan owning the Red Sox. That's weird.
8: There's a lot of weird about that. I mean, if the Red Sox are not at their height of popularity here right now and uh they're they're fighting against apathy and and just uh mismanagement and and changing strategies every year coming off a last place season the worst year since 1965. So if you could do one thing to make your fans hate you more than they already do, you would have LeBron James take over as, as one of your owners. So uh I, I can't explain it. I mean obviously financially it's it's a good thing for everybody, but in terms of PR and the optics of this, uh could not be worse. I mean I don't think the Boston Bruins would have hired Will Chamberlain as one of their owners, you know, uh back in the day. It's just it's it's not not a not a good look for them.
2: Okay, uh Brad Stevens isn't going to Indiana. <laughs> what, what are the what are the feelings about him with the Boston Celtics? A you
8: know, big game for them tonight. Utah's here, and you know they're they're formidable as we know, and uh, things you know the Celtics came back, played a couple of good games against bad teams. They they were unable to beat the Nets uh, once they came back, and they have Marcus Smart back. They they won the final four going into the All Star break, so they've they've recovered quite a bit since the the low point of about three weeks ago. But there's work to be done, and I, they know that. You know, Jersey's better, Philly's better if Embiid's there. Milwaukee's better, so you know they're they're in that four or five slot, and it's going to be a tall order, and, and it's going to be unlikely that they'll make the conference finals as they have three of the last four years.
2: Yeah, they 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 do. It's it's interesting on how how people believe that they have better personnel than they actually they do, and then when Danny Ainge says yeah. we need another extra piece, they, they act like Danny Danny didn't know that when you Gordon Hayward's a good player right? He, he, he couldn't Absolutely. be what he is in, yeah. in Charlotte here, but uh, it wasn't that they didn't have, he was the number one prized free agent target when they got him just the leg injury and then the success of others at a similar position really kind of marginalized that Dan, great stuff. Obviously it, go ahead. You, you want to add something? Go ahead.
8: No, that was like, what you said is true. And the only time Gordon Haywood wasn't good was when he was here. So they, they hit the wrong window with him.
5: Dan, great stuff. Thanks so much for joining us.
0: if you dare.
3: work. Zumo Play.